Welcome back to the Spinner Rack here at the Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast. We're your host, Stephen, with Kickers Inc. number five. And Andy, covering Mark Hazard Merck number five, now with less words. <laughs> the New Universe was a self-contained universe and imprint from Marvel Comics started by Jim Shooter in 1986, with the launch of eight new ongoing titles to celebrate Marvel's 25th anniversary. It was intended to be more realistic without magic, aliens, and secret histories. We're two chemists and comics readers who are reading through the new universe two books a week in the order they were released, describing them and commenting as we go. We'll also give the advertising copy from Marvel Age magazine, which were the previews available at the time. We should also mention our website, uh, kickersinc.com, where you can find out our summer sweep sleuth spectacular. Summer alliteration spectacular. (laughs) Contest. Win free comics. Free comics good. Yeah. Thing that was running at the time in the New Universe comics with a uh, questionnaire with questions on each of the titles. And you too can win a copy of each of the first issues. That's right, from my personal selection. All right. Uh, They are not uh, slabbed and graded. All (laughs) 9.8. No, they're Um, just loose. (laughs) So you can actually read them. Absolutely, the new universe is all about reading copies. Uh, we wanted to mention a shout out to our uh, friends at the Marvel Comics New Universe fans fan page on Facebook. And uh, that's the place to go to get lots of um, pictures and scans of uh, covers and sometimes original art. A lot of interesting stuff going on over there. And links and- to a super cool New Universe podcast that you're listening to. We're just uh, part of the the vast new universe fan community, I begin to feel. <laughs> and uh, you can also follow us on Twitter uh, at Kickers Inc. Dot at, no, just at Kickers Inc., where we uh, have little promos for the week's uh, podcast release. So this week I'll be covering Kickers Inc., which is a group of heroes for hire all off-season pro football players led by Jack Magnaconti, who gained superhuman strength, speed, and invulnerability after the white event at the cost of his brother's life. This week, Kickers Inc. turn private investigators when they are hired by the mysterious clinic to capture and return an unusual group of patients. DP7! What? Co-written by Tom DeFalco and Mark Gruenwald. What? <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, and penciled by Paul Ryan. This is good. <laughs> yeah, the uh, let me just do the intro for DP7 as well. DP7 focuses on a group of seven paranormals on the run from a sinister medical facility created to deal with the booming paranormal population. Yeah, it, it reads a little bit like DP7 issue four and a half, I guess, at this rate. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of content from both groups, but you'll find that out. Uh, so yeah, this week I'll be covering Mark Hazard Merck. Uh, that's 
that was my joke earlier less words so i'm kind of happy for that one um so mark mark hazard is our vietnam veteran turned soldier of fortune whose mercenary lifestyle has cost him the love of his family except his son still likes him uh, this week, when Mark Hazard's ex-wife's new husband becomes involved in a complicated espionage plot, it's Mark's duty to rescue him before he's killed. Or is it? Ooh, let him die. Death on Delivery is guest written by Bob Kaniger and guest drawn by Ernie Chan. Um, we don't get that story. Uh, <laughs> nor, nor do we get that creative team. However, right? So the promo for number four and number six um so both wrong here since we're doing number five uh from marvel age 46 and 48 uh gave the promo the rescue of his best friend's daughter from a street gang turns mark hazard into a target not only of the street gang but his best friend too ah the stunning reason why is found in friends which introduces doug murray as writer mark beecham as penciler and gray morrow as inker that's a little bit closer awesome so let's dive right in then. Kickers Inc. number five is cover dated March uh, 1987 and was probably on the newsstands December 2nd, 1986. Um, Set your time machines. So yeah, we've been going, we've, we're just past Thanksgiving of uh, that year now. Um, and yeah, we've, we've started to get a couple of uh, time references in recent uh, issues. We had uh, them doing uh, some football, restarting the season, I think last issue. And we had uh, so some fall dates, maybe in, into September. But uh, we'll, we'll track into the, the date of this issue in a moment. The cover has a good, uh, reasonably chaotic uh, show of um, DP7 and Kickers Inc. all on on stage um, brawling, basically. Um, Magna Conti is fighting with Mastodon, Antibody with Brick Wall, um, Charlie Beck, whatever her code name was, uh, versus Suicide Smythe, Blur versus Dasher. And Scuzz is just sort of standing there cheering them on. And <laughs> so is Darlene, just kind of in a West Side Story kind of pose on the fringes. <laughs> yes. Um, and the uh, it's by Alex Saviak, who did a issue of Justice, maybe already. Mm, sounds for, sounds about right. And uh, it just says Kickers Inc. versus DP7. Um, tint to the New Universe logo, light uh, yellow keep pointing that out for as long as they keep doing it <laughs> for some reason we love it um <laughs> turn the page and we have the splash page and this is even better um it is kickers inc freaks are for fighting guest starring dp7 and it's a great shot of mastodon uh really laying a, a punch on uh, Jack Magniconti, who's flying towards the viewer here. You betrayed us, Magniconti. Now you're going to pay for it. <laughs> In the back, Rick, 
Rick is, uh, hey, well, Scuzz is, go to it, Mastodon. <laughs> so, it's pretty good. Some narr- Sorry. Yeah, no, it's pretty good. <laughs> there's some narration boxes, um, but the um, credits below, as we mentioned, Tom DeFalco plot, Mark Gruenwald script, Paul Ryan pencils, De La Rosa and Friends inks, and uh, Michael Higgins, editor. He's the one who did several of the books at the, at the time. So the narration box is when Jack Magnaconti, his wife and three best buddies founded Kickers Inc., they hope to help people with offbeat problems and have a good time doing it. Well, problems don't come any more offbeat than those of the seven displaced paranormals. So how come Jack isn't having a good time? Read on. <laughs> what, why is he getting punched in the face by the strongest <laughs> member of DP7? <laughs> it looks cool. Ah, oh, don't, don't let me spoil it. Um, so it all begins here on a blustery morning in early November at Kickers Inc.'s headquarters and complex in Flushing, Queens. So as I say, early November, we've got. Yeah. Um, we've got a uh, secretary who is giving Darlene a rundown of all the calls that have come into Kinkers Inc. headquarters, where obviously they advertising for people with unusual problems and things that maybe they can help with. And uh, while a couple of them are pretty normal, uh, one of them it, you'll, may sound familiar. There's uh, three UFO sightings around Pittsburgh. Nice. And three obscene phone calls from Green Bay Chieftains fans. Um, so Darlene remembers a call from a young boy in Wisconsin whose mother was missing, but they haven't heard anything more. And then there's a, suddenly a hand grabs her from behind. Oh, it's her husband, Jack. They're just roughhousing in the office. Um, he's just kind of joking around, but uh, she's uh, kind of running the show there. So she wants to be, look a little more professional in the office. Thoroughly annoyed by him, I guess. That's what I would say. Yeah. This, Kicker Zink may have helped a lot of people, but uh, Jack and Darlene's marriage wasn't one of them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway so she gives a little uh background on him as they walk and talk and she's like i don't want you to show off your enhanced strength in public you know that thing that's a cheating device basically every time you go on this field look i didn't do anything that extraordinary besides it never, would never occur to anyone to suspect superhuman strength okay so uh, he notices that she's a little upset and she, he, she's, um, she starts telling him about uh, a six-year-old boy that called his mother and was missing. It was a medical problem. And then Jack, who started working out, is, thinks to himself, mother leaving home? No wonder Darl's upset. Which um, I'm, I'm not sure, sure what that's quite, all about. Yeah, it's like, did they have some kids that they haven't seen in a while? Or was Darlene like left at home as a kid and we didn't hear about it and aren't going to hear about it? Abandoned by her parents? We, I'm afraid we don't get an answer to that question. So, Or um, maybe just he figures because she's a woman, that's what <laughs> she would be worried about. Like that's some sort of I motherly instinct like or something. If there isn't more to it that, yeah, it's just, you know, female... Uh, 
maternal instinct. Uh, yeah. So, but um, so she says uh, there's a the the woman calls her son when he can, but she's afraid to come home because there are bad men chasing her. Hmm. Wonder if there's anything kickers might do to help. So they hope that the boy calls back so they can do something. Later that day, somewhere in Wisconsin, we have another trailer park where the displaced paranormals, seven, are uh, camping out for the time being. They're always sort of on the run. So they're in a, um, uh, like a truck and a trailer. Yeah, trailer like a pickup home, truck pulling in a pull behind camper. So we don't have a real. It never says one way or the other where this fits in DP7's continuity. So I'd say it's reasonable to assume that it's basically, yeah, 4.5. Yeah. Um, Without so. knowing yet what happens in issue five, it seems like it would be perfectly fit after the Wampus incident of the previous. Right. So they're still in Wisconsin. They're still sort of going place to place. And the clinic hasn't attacked them again for a while. Um, we let's see the some of the more normal looking ones are getting some food supplies and uh, they sort of show their powers by like scuzz burning through the bag and then instead of dropping the food blur comes up and grabs it all before it hits the ground and mastodon is like breaking logs with his bare hands to build a fire and uh we have a, a you know nice little normal um, chit chat with the DP seven, and with uh, Gruenwald during the dial doing the dialogue, it all sounds you know spot on. You're not like no one's out of character here. Right. So this is um, they're having a you know picnic, and um, Stephanie's still down, and she wants to go try finding another payphone and try calling her son again say that uh, she just tried that but her um husband's so her mother-in-law her husband's mother has been watching the kids and um won't let them talk to her on the phone because her husband and his mother are both like freaked out by the paranormality so and her husband chuck is kind of a jerk in general minimum yes that's the <laughs> The nicest way to describe Chuck. Um, let's just point out that Stephanie's paranormality is that she sparkles and can heal things. So, I mean... Yeah, it's not like she grew like a lizard tail or something. Or yeah, exactly. Like the, it's pretty reasonable. <laughs> yeah, the... Um, I mean, okay. So, uh, a little talk with uh, Mastodon, who's already always ready to back her up whenever she has a request. Has a huge crush on her. Huge crush. Um, they make some, you know, there's they're some rational, they're, they're not like um, overlooking things. They're like, well, what if the phone's bugged? What if the clinic is, you know, watching your family? And like, well, pay phone, let's take a risk, you know. And probably they'll, they're expecting to move on again soon anyway, right? So. So yeah, the um, back in Sheboygan, the phone rings and the boy, um, oh, who is Bobby? Ben, the oldest boy, I guess, is uh, answers the phone and he's uh, 
sort of worried about grandma finding him. Uh, Stephanie talks to him for a second. Her two other kids are getting a bath. And uh, he tells her that uh, he tried calling someone who uh, maybe can help her to come home again. He called Kickers Inc. They're football players who help people in trouble like you. No, I saw them on the TV. They're real. That sounds pretty crazy, actually, when you when a kid says stuff like that. So <laughs> that totally sounds like something a kid would do, though. Yeah. So um, Ben is caught by Grandma, who just hangs up on him. Um, Your mother is very sick, and if you talk to her, you'll become sick, too. That's a really awful thing to say to your grandkid. <laughs> Literally takes two word balloons to make you hate this woman. Yeah, it's uh, terrible. Um, so yeah, Stephanie's like, what are we going to do? I, I don't know. I can't see my kids and I can't even call them. I can't deal with this. And she's, she's hugging mass Dave. And he's like, mm, when she touches me, I feel so, so excited. I wish, man, I've got to stop torturing myself. She's married for crying out loud. <laughs> which I imagine is a combination of his crush on her and her actual superpowers, which make people feel really good and heal when she touches them. That's true, yes. So Mastodon, with powers boosted by Stephanie, might be even scarier for Stephanie. Yeah. Um, yeah, that would be uh, formidable. Soon, so they're having a, a sort of roundhouse conversation. And uh, let's see, Stephanie's presenting her case of going to Kicker's Inc. And Dave uh, found the uh, article he'd read on him. And is, as he says, as far as I'm concerned, if it's in Sports Illustrated, it's got to be legit. <laughs> so to be fair, like 1986, Sports Illustrated might be, might be some pretty solid journalism if we compared it to today. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Things hadn't uh, fallen apart in the journalism world quite yet, but um, a lot of people still reading magazines too. True. Um, Scuzz is, you know, isn't into it. What could a bunch of what could a bunch of normals do for us that paranormals that we couldn't do for ourselves? Scuzz should call them normies, but maybe that's just a more like recent. Uh, Term, anyway. It's a great drawing of him too, kind of like head turned to the side, smoking a cigarette, sunglasses on, hair all cool, but then also like the little steam coming off of his coat because he's burning <laughs> through his clothes, you know. So yeah, and he's the, uh, being rebel kinda... without a cause kind of a look he's always got going on. Um, Charlie's like, hmm, Dasher Corbin's cute. I wouldn't mind meeting him. Um, Lenore. And I think her only uh, conversation in this issue says, hey, it wouldn't hurt to call the number. Because it's toll free, right? You got nothing to lose. Not even nothing a quarter. Um, so what are, what are we thinking about doing here? And he's like, well, let's just, um, we try trusting someone and maybe we can have them uh, go to the clinic and try to you know, tell them to lay off of us. And then we could try to get back to our normal lives more. Um, that's the plan that they're sort of discussing uh, here. So um, he, let's see, calls and 
at the Kickers Inc. headquarters later that day. Um, there's a discussion with all the rest of the Kickers, uh, Brickwall, Dasher, and Suicide. And uh, Dasher and Suicide are doing their kind of, Well, it's not locker room hijinks. Uh, they're just arguing with each other in the boardroom. So maybe yeah. it's not as cute. I, I like Suicide's line of, you know, couldn't I be spared all this financial mumbo jumbo? All I want to know is when we're going to get another inter interesting case, like the, like the one with the robot or those witches. I'm with you, man. Yeah. Those, those are know, fun. <laughs> yeah, we can imagine that like they've been on more cases that we didn't see. Just yeah, they weren't as exciting, and they're like, "Oh man, let's do more robots and witches again." Those were fun. Hmm. Not the you know X happened and Y happened and off-screen adventures. Um, yeah, as we discussed, suicide is Caucasian again. Um, yeah. The, we're now at uh, the dominant number of suicide appearances being uh, the same skin color as Jack. Well, Mediterranean, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, three <sighs> out of five issues so far. The last three out of five. So we'll see. You know, we'll, we'll changed it or corrected it. Yeah, we'll get to this, revisit this uh, when we talk about Merc, because there's a character with the sort of same original skin tone in that. Um, but the, um, I don't know, it, there were such limitations with uh, the coloring in those times. I forget if it was 64 or 128 colors, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, you just sort of, they get defaulted to like one of like three skin colors and but anyway, um, so Dasher is like, there's a chance to do something worthwhile to help people who don't make in a year what you make in a week, and all you care about is getting your jollies. Smith Suicide responds, baloney, you're as big an action addict as I am. Don't give me all that bleeding heart stuff, blah, blah, blah. Darlene busts in, Suicide, Dasher, will you two act like grownups for once? <laughs> unlikely um so she uh she kind of gives them a hard time but then um, pretty much gives everyone a hard time right she hollers at them hey jack couldn't you be you're the quarterback are you supposed to be controlling these fools and am i distracting uh, you brick wall looking at your papers <laughs> <laughs> remember brick walls like focus is like number one he's got like financial statements to read this like knockout redhead walking into the room won't even face him so um so but she's gotten the call from the dp7 supposedly they don't go into it but segue is straight into sunday morning green bay wisconsin and jack is doing his uh, to prevent himself from cheating using his superpowers, he will run around the field a bunch to wear himself out. Uh, and this is the Green Bay Chieftains Stadium, not the Green Bay Packers. That's right. I, I, How did Green I Bay get two professional teams, right? That's the funny thing. You know, Austin doesn't have a team in real life. Um, so you could be like, well, these other cities that don't actually have a stadium could be in the new new universe yeah have a stadium but like texas has like five football teams or something right 
Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I don't know. There was like an initial idea that this was a separate league, like the AFL, not the NFL. And so the Smashers and, you know, that's just the AFL team. Um, You could have like a parallel set of teams playing in like the NFL offseason, much like the USFL. But I don't know what we're really doing. So yeah, I mean, they, didn't I do, the, they didn't have the NFL license, I guess, but I, I do like, like having like new imaginary teams. So, yeah, I don't mind it. Smashers, Wreckers, and Chieftains. I think that's all we've got so far. Yeah, I'd probably enjoy it more if there was like some like uh, things that were offensive to Native Americans, but Chieftains <laughs> kind of, I don't know. That's That's plain enough, I think. <laughs> The uh, let's see, Brick Wall is talking to Jack about these. Uh, uh, thanks to my brother's treatment, I'm just too powerful to play with normal at- athletes. And uh, Brick thinks uh, he's crazy to to do this, but you know, Brick, uh, I got to do something. Playing the game is meaningless if it's no challenge. Jack likes cheating, just not that much. <laughs> I, I can't give up my edge, Brick. I can't. Um, so the game, uh, surprisingly, Smashers win 21 to 17. Jack is point shaving by some people's. <laughs> and like Brick Wall scores a touchdown, maybe, as a white guy here? Or. Oh, I, no, he's 66 in the previous page, and that's 35. W O H L makes it to the 10 yard line. Oh my, you're right. Unless he's got a a brother or a guy with the same last name. I guess it would have to be a guy with the same last name. But the running back is Smythe, right? Yeah, those are the ones that go out. uh, Gruenwald, uh, not knowing the characters that well. (laughs) Well, Brick Wall is a lineman, so he shouldn't be scoring any rushing touchdowns. Nor is he a white guy. So either there's a colorist problem or a football knowledge problem, but it doesn't really matter, but it's just a fun little thing I caught. <laughs> That's good. I hadn't noticed that they said wall. Yeah. In the uh, the uh, announcers um, word balloon. Folks, there are so many word balloons in this issue. I can't even. <laughs> and the Green Bay team has the interesting color choice of green and purple. Purple is Green Bay uh, Lex Luthor's or something. <laughs> I think I've heard that that's the the uh, like yeah the villainous colors. Yeah. So if you color someone that those, it'll he'll will be, um, you'll assume he's a bad guy. Anyway, and in the Smashers locker room shortly thereafter, we have uh, Coach Kirby back. What do you think we're doing out there, Magna Gandhi, playing tic tac toe? Your game stunk. <laughs> Your throws were lousy. Um, gee, I'm really sorry, coach. The um, coach assumes he's like out partying and they're gallivanting with their do-gooder nonsense and don't let it affect your game. And let's finish the season. Um, poor Jack. He's been read the riot act a lot lately. So it's true. Everybody's kind of yelling at him. Yeah. You know, the uh, while they're talking, oh, I'm sorry. Um, 
Suicide uh, sees a chance to play a joke on Dasher and he fills his shoe up with shaving cream, I guess. So yeah. here's the locker room hijinks we all know and love from Suicide and Dasher. <laughs> Four fifths of his personality. <laughs> so the, uh, the next page, Dasher puts his shoe on and um, it's interesting. He, he gets the like sploosh. Huh? But it, to me, that face he's making it, and the angle and everything is exactly like the Coach Kirby on the face on the page before. It's an sort of an interesting like. Yeah, but sad, uh, sad and confused instead of angry at <laughs> sloppy performance. Yeah. Okay. So they, uh, yeah, sure takes off after him. Um, blast you suicide these are 200 dollars shoes i should have looked up how much that is in 2022 dollars but mm, four thousand dollars <laughs> yeah the uh short time later the gang is all out of the stadium and darlene is picking them up in a eight cylinder car all in one car i guess it's a pretty big one so they uh drive for four hours and uh, stop for directions, as it says, and get to a um, Starlight Motel, which is a just a roadside motel somewhere in the middle of Wisconsin where they're meeting DP7. So the next page, we have the two groups standing around a room talking to each other. And it's like, George Perez drawing everybody in uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, almost. <laughs> These are uh, you know, two of our biggest groups coming together. Yeah, we got uh, 12 po po possible, but only nine here in, each, in a panel. But um, ah, they, they're, they're talking and chatting and uh, DP7 shows off their powers a bit, like uh, Charlie shows how she can make Dasher's chair frictionless. And Stephanie, is, of course, is glowing and sparkling everywhere. Um, the kickers are kind of put off by these powers, um, but Darlene is really taken and connects with Stephanie. And she's like, Miss Harrington, Kickers Inc. really wants you to help you and your friends if we're able to. Do you, do you really think you can? Jack's a little bit of a, just thinking to himself, I'm not going to make any promises. So later, three doors down, I guess everyone's just staying in the same hotel. Stephanie had introduced herself, but she said that she was keeping the rest of the DPs uh, anonymous. So for the time being, they don't, they know what they are, but not too much about them, other than that they want him to go talk to the clinic for them. So later, what's going on is the kickers are arguing amongst themselves about what they can do for these weirdos who honestly seem to have freaked them all out. Yeah. Um, these jokers really cop, take, cop the cake. You got that Harrington chick who wants to show us her freak power is, who knows what the rest of these oddballs can do. Don't know about you guys, but I'm starting to get the creeps. That's a suicide. Yeah, so I guess at this point, the kickers haven't really run into any paranormals in their own book. Uh, and so, you know, 
Jack is kind of their only kind of paranormal connection, I guess. And you know, the- yeah, that's the funniest thing to me is that like um, as they they're as Darlene says, look, um, you know, maybe what we should be worried about is if the clinic is into paranormals, Jack, um, maybe they'd be interested in you too. You enhance strength certainly falls under the category of paranormal, you know. And then Jack's response, come on, Darlene. Sure, I'm four or five times as strong as most people and have been known to stop bullets. Well, yeah, but other than that, I'm perfectly normal. (laughs) Yeah, he does not see himself as uh, strange or odd. Uh, Jack, Jack, Jack. Okay. Comes across as kind of a jerk. Yeah, Darlene uh, speaks, sticks up for them some more. And when we formed Kickers Inc., wasn't it to help people with offbeat problems? Well, boys, I don't think we're going to find problems more offbeat than this. It's got a point. So the next day at the clinic of the National Institute for Paranormal Research. That's the full title of the NIH directorate that the clinic works under, which you would think had been mentioned in DP7, but I could not actually find that. Um, We have a meeting with uh, Mr. Voigt, who is called uh, Ms. Speck and Mr. Hackbart. And he's telling them that he's gotten a call from Jack Magnaconti, who's uh, some sort of private investigation firm. Hackbarth says, "Ah, they're just a bunch of uh, football players who set up a tax dodge. Uh, Everyone gets their news from uh, TV, as he says. They had a bit on them on 2020 a while back. 2020 being sort of a 60 Minutes type show at the time. I don't know if that Uh, still exists. I don't know. Things like that last a long time. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Also, Voigt is uh, gives Speck a hard time. She's the one who was uh, doing remote viewing to kind of keep track of the DP7. And she says that she's mostly been working on uh, the new patients they have admitted uh, recently. And you know, I can only be in one mind at a time, sir. So that if we were thinking what, what was going on back at the clinic in the last couple of issues of DP7, that's, that's what's been holding them up. So um, Voigt, uh, always the uh, management uh, leader looking for an angle, says, listen, we can use this meeting to our advantage, use these kickers to strike at the escapees, thoroughly dis- demoralize them. We'll need Mr. Charney's aid. So it's like, what can we do? Um, I don't expect these kickers to succeed. I just want to, them to teach the escapees the futility of looking to outside help. So he gets uh, Charney in, who was one of the other three people, um, three paranormals that were working under Voigt to kind of control people. And um, I think he's got sort of a suggestion power or something. Yeah, some kind of emotional or suggestive. The idea is to tell them uh, something about DP7 and then have him emotionally reinforce that. So, and then you meet uh, the kickers later. Um, they're all in their jumpsuit uniforms. 
Asher must be pretty happy finally. <laughs> if Darlene were there, we would have like the maybe the first ever uh, in comic appearance of all five of them in costume. Could be. Um, so they uh, take a tour of the facilities. And it actually, I didn't go back, but it looks a lot like a uh, tour of the facilities they'd given to DP7 um, when Dave and Randy got there. And you could sort of see other paranormals doing workouts and, you know, getting sort of graded by people with clipboards and things. This is their show tour, probably, that they give to everybody. <laughs> so... As Voight says, in recent months, the incidence of paranormality has reached epi epidemic proportions. No one knows why, yet really it is one of the things the Institute hopes to discover. But the clinic is not primarily a research facility. It is um, a place where uh, patients can be treated and taught to cope. Yeah, it's interesting that they're not secretive of, at all with sort of outsiders that there are a big collection of paranormals, right? Like, because really the, the the world at this point doesn't know about the paranormals. That's kind of why I'm surprised that it's like a whole like National Institute for Paranormal Research. Like, I'm familiar with like a number of government agencies and like they don't like, if, if someone was like, oh, there's like a ghost patrol in, in a subset of the FBI or something. You'd like notice that and be like, what's going on over there? So I don't know, like things may be getting, you know, more noticeable, like they said. Um, Maybe, yeah. I mean, there hasn't been too much in the stories at, to this point, though it would make sense that it would be starting to trend that way. It is interesting how like open they are though. Like, welcome to my secret lair. Like it's, um, if you visited the gnome and you're this, hey, let me take a tour on the castle. Yeah, sure, we do dream research here. I'm always trying to infect people's dreams. And, <laughs> it basically yeah. tells them exactly what the clinic does, everything except for the brainwashing part. Yeah, and he's just, you know, I don't know, it's not even like, I no one will believe you if you tell anyone. It's like, oh, you know, this is all federally supported research, although we're not we're also sort of a medical facility, but anyway. Um, so they go back and give him uh, sort of video or movies of the DPs. Uh, and he shows them Randy O'Brien, apparently the ringleader of the group, which shows you how much the clinic knows. Yeah, well, he definitely was the ringleader of the breakout from the clinic. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, it was he who convinced the others to leave with him. The man suffers from paranormal paranoia. Fur furthermore, as the videotape demonstrates, O'Brien has some sort of poltergeist dwelling within him. You see this antibody breaking out. We think it might have contributed to his mental instability and blah, blah, blah. Mrs. Harrington no doubt told you we were after her and her companions. To a degree, this is correct. We believe these paranormals are a threat both to themselves and the world at large. They have been frightening abilities and um, that they have not mastered. He shows them uh, Mastodon and Scuzz doing things. We want nothing more than to get them back where they can continue their treatment if we had their resources 
we would pursue them. I only pray that we do get them back before they hurt somebody. That is classic bad guy. <laughs> Setting up for uh, what is certainly going to be a misunderstanding fight. Okay, I got to take a break here for a second. Yeah, sure. I only pray we can we do get them back before they hurt somebody. And we have uh, Jack's face as he's watching this. Darlene. <laughs> so, and soon. Thanks for your time, Mr. Boy. We may be able to help you with your runaway problem. We'll be in touch. Now Kicker Zinc is working for the clinic. Good job, guys. <laughs> totally got the wrong deal. <laughs> So that does make it match the uh, uh, solicitation, though. Indeed. Yeah, the uh, suicide is going, uh, is thinking to himself as they're running for the car. Jack must be worried sick, thinking about how he left Doll back there alone with those freaks. I warned her not to trust him. Boyd and uh, Charney are, are pretty happy with themselves. Excellent work, Mr. Charney. Your paranormal mind reinforced the effect of my words upon their brains with great subtlety. There go five highly motivated individuals. Well, sir, it's uh, easier when a person's predisposed towards your position to begin with. <laughs> Kiss ass there, Charney. But okay, whatever. Evil nerds. You gotta watch out for them. You gotta work your way up in the clinic one way or another. So, uh, two and a half hours of aggressive driving later. You can imagine these guys <laughs> just going around, blazing through Wisconsin in a rental, no less. Yeah. Uh, yo, Randy, the spit kickers are back. Can't say I care much for their driving. And uh, Scuzz isn't expecting too much from them, but I don't think he's expecting this. Jack jumping out of the car. You, Landers, where's my wife? Hey, Mastodon thinks to himself, they must have been told our names because they were anonymous when they talked to them. Oh, well, not anymore. She's taking our walk with our women, Mr. Magnacani. Why? What's the problem? The clinic told us all about you people. The truth you withheld from us. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, it would be Dasher. Yeah, so they're like, uh, they told you a bunch of crapola. He's like, take my me to see my wife now, or you threatening me, mister? So after a little quick pose down, we, we have an actual fight. Um, and at first, Dave's thinking, I'd better not put my full strength into this. I'll kill him. Scuzz is excited. Um, the other kickers are like, um, Hey, that freak's flattening Jack. Not with us around, he don't, but they are taken out pretty quickly by Blur and Scuzz. Brick has, sneaks on by, but... Um, he kind of like tries to take Mastodon out by like the back of his knees, kind of diving into him because you know, he's huge. And anybody else, he would have yeah. like blown all their ACLs out. Uh, but yeah, Rick's a big guy, so yeah, you can see where he's doing this sort of a tackle would be a good move for him. Yeah. yeah, I think that's actually pretty illegal in the NFL to do that. But <laughs> whoops, he just shrugs him off and 
swats him out of the way. But how baldy, you're out of your league. So um, Jack quickly realizes Landers is strong, maybe the strongest guy I've ever faced. And uh, he tears off a street lane, street sign, a pole. And uh, yeah, Landers is kind of impressed. He snapped off that metal pole. I don't know. Street sign poles are really that strong. I mean, well, I mean, a normal person couldn't break it though. Yeah, pulling it out um, of the ground maybe, breaking it off eh, the, the steel, no way. So he's Jack's uh, getting worse. You've just proven yourself the menace I thought you to be. I'm taking you in, tough guy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know about that. So, uh, was it Randy's? Like, I've never seen Dave this angry before. He'll kill Magna Conti if he's not careful. Dave, stop. So, the agitation gets the antibody out. And uh, it just annoys Dave, who's just like, I don't need your help. And he just swats the antibody away. So nearby, the ladies of DP7 are uh, walking with Darlene, who, you know, all perfectly normal over there. And uh, they say, like, oh, you still don't have any idea what uh, altered your bodies in these ways? Not a clue. We didn't even begin changing at the same time. Maybe it was something different responsible for... And then they're interrupted by the sounds of the boys' uh, roughhousing, let's call it. Wait, do you hear something? <laughs> Sounds like shouting. They head back over, and yeah, Jack is swinging a street sign at Dave, and uh, Dave is just starting to to punch with uh, punch Jack down. Um, yeah, it's not a very even trade here, where Jack nails Mastodon maybe once in the chest with the pole. <laughs> But then takes like a series of four punch punches, <laughs> yeah. mostly to the face. So he, uh, yeah, then the face comes down. And um, I'm not really sure because, you know, Jack was brainwashed basically by the clinic. Um, and that was kind of his why he was so hyped up. But Dave is just annoyed, I guess. Like he doesn't have a reason for being like uh, this angry yeah. as he gets, yeah. Because um, he's like, I trusted you, man. I figured a superstar quarterback like you had to have some integrity. Beating him senseless, kind of a scam you have going with your kickers, anyway. You guys, mercenaries, sending your services, selling your services to the highest bidder. It'd be great if there was like a little like. See Mark Hazard Merck. <laughs> um, so he is mad about the guys betraying them, I guess he thinks. And we see Darlene like, oh my God, he's killing them. Please make him stop. Stephanie isn't actually that worried. She's like, what's David doing? This isn't like him at all. Um, well, it's not her husband that's getting his face pounded in. <laughs> so one last big smash bash um stephanie is then holding back uh, david he betrayed us to the clinic 
and Darlene's running to Jack, who's a puddle on the ground. Um, so David is sort of starting to wind down. He attacked me, told me the clinic where we are, I think. Stephanie's power is also working on him to sort of calm him down, I guess. Um, and then she goes over to check on Jack and Darlene's like, I've never seen him so battered. But Stephanie touches Jack and um, uses her power and he's like, it feels good. <laughs> you really did it, thank you. But why were they fighting? And well, they're not gonna just calm down and talk it out. Scuzz is like, can the chit chat. We got to blow. Clinic goons will be here any second. Say so, uh, everyone in the DP7 grabs, uh, runs for the trailer, except for, uh, I guess, Dave and Randy do the driving. And uh, Dave's in re pretty reasonable shape. I don't think he got really hurt at all, but. Um, Doesn't seem like it, man. Our paranormals take off in their trailer and, and pick up. And the kickers are kind of all standing around. Darlene is in her uniform. Yeah, I know that's true. Yeah, we do have all five in the kickers' outfits. This is the best. So, how do you like those freaks trancing us like we were school kids, Darlene? Um, suicide wants to chase after them, but everyone else is like, uh, they will just kick our butts again. <laughs> um, and Darlene's like, um, I don't care what the clinic told you. I have to know them. They're not menaces. They're just unfortunate victims of circumstance trying to get by. Jack says, there's nothing really we can do for them, but Darlene has an idea. So later that afternoon at a meatpacking plant outside Sheboygan, uh, this is where Stephanie's family is from, uh, there's a, hey Chuck, there's some guys in funny jumpsuits looking for you. Huh? And it's Stephanie's husband, the um, villain of DP7, I guess. Your name, uh, look, uh, we're the kickers. We're freelance welfare agents here at the request of your wife. We understand you've been illegally denying your wife any contact with her children. And we think that stinks. We're here to tell you to stop. Such harassment is going to stop immediately. Am I making myself clear? Yeah. So as they're leaving, his coworker is like, hey, is that Jack Mangadukandi of the New York, New York Smashers? <laughs> this is going to make the tabloids. It's like that freaky witch sick and muscle on me thinks uh, Chuck to himself. So he's not a very repentant guy, but um, we'll see where no. it takes him. Meanwhile, in Sheboygan itself, Darlene is walking around with Stephanie's three kids and she's telling them how their mommy wants her to, to tell them that she wants to come back, but to see you, but she's got some very special things to do first. She loves you really, and we'll call soon. I like to imagine that the other kickers uh, tied up grandma and are watching her <laughs> because, you know, you just have Darlene with th those three kids and like, you know, how did she get control of them? You know, yeah. No other <laughs> adult around. Yeah. If Dasher had done that same thing where like he's pointing into their chest, like, uh, Jack had done with the truck. You're gonna look. All right, you. Grandma, you hear me? We don't want any other lip out of you. Kids can use the phone whenever they damn well please. <laughs> so 
Um, so as Darlene's talking to the kids about uh, your mommy's with some very special friends who like her a whole lot and they won't let anything bad happen to her. And we see DP7 on the road and Stephanie sort of weepily looking out the window. You know what? I'll bet your mommy is thinking of you three right now. And that's the end. We don't get a uh, end or next time, next issue or anything. Yeah, no clues for next time, sadly. I like those clues. I always enjoy like a good um, title or something like, you know, the Psy Stalker. Right. But um, okay. The field goal kicker from beyond the grave or who knows what we get in kickers in <laughs> six. It would have been great if they'd have been like both, you know, oh, uh, come in, uh, you know, uh, next week in DP seven, number five, be, you know, come back for this to happen and then be here next month when kickers Inc. go up against, yeah, the, uh, the ghost who kicked a field goal or something. I don't know. <laughs> You're going with my story. I like it. Yeah. Why not? Uh, that, I, like I mean, that seems like comics 101, like, you know, try and get people excited about next issue and, you know, point in the direction of other books that you should be checking out like hey you want to see who mastodon punches next check out the next issue yeah on sale in one week you know? we talked before about how they don't have outside advertising they have house ads and this sort of word of mouth and crossovers which is obviously a promotional uh item all itself so yeah and we could have <sighs> prom you could have cross promoted uh i looked up the other issues that were out at the time, and this was in like issue two or three of uh, Chuck Norris's Karate Commandos. There we go. So maybe the new universe, Chuck Norris is the deadbeat <laughs> husband of Stephanie, right? <laughs> kind of looks similar. A bit, a bit. Um, no, they just, they have a mustache and they're named Chuck. I guess that's really the only similarity. Okay. Hair is a little darker, I think. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, Not always working a Bowflex. <laughs> I do remember that at some point we'll get like a list of the actors that um, or celebrities that these um, the creators of the new universe are kind of modeling their characters after. You know, they're sort of like, oh, who should play these characters in a movie? Oh, uh, so you know, Chuck Norris should play so and so. And I, you know, I'm really looking forward to that to have like a little more clear visual image of some of them. <laughs> I don't think oh. Chuck Norris in 1986 would be happy with the role of uh, abusive husband, <laughs> minor character, abusive husband. Yeah. Well, is he an abusive husband who knows karate really well? Good fit. I mean, he would kind of fit the mold of Merck, except not visually at all. <laughs> oh, well. So this. Uh, I feel exhausted reading this book. <laughs> There's so many words. Let me tell you all, um, they do a great job of balancing. And, you know, like I said, um, some of the characters kind of take to the background. We don't get much out of Lenore, for instance. But I usually sort of list all the characters that appear in each uh, comic. There were 23 named characters in wow. this comic. Literally one per page, yeah. But 
yeah i don't i don't have a problem at all with the style and the wordiness generally as a reader it's just as a podcaster and reviewer it makes it hard because there's just so much going on and so much yeah when you when you're reading it you don't feel like oh this is you know too much you're just like okay it sort of it carries you along pretty well yeah and it's not like deep in the dark dungeons of wisconsin you know <laughs> our hero trembles with fear at the idea of blah 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 it's not like that kind of narration stuff it's just yeah, it's very naturalistic dialogue almost entirely. So yeah, yeah. you get uh, character comes out through conflict and dialogue, and yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, it definitely reads more like a DP seven issue than a Kickers Inc issue, which is both good and bad. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to be displaced in your own comic, um, but when you have the guest artist and writer of that other comic coming in i guess it's um it's for the best yeah um, it would have like been I cool said, if we would have gotten to see more of the other dp7 characters kind of battling it out or using their powers a little bit it was yeah. basically just a couple a bunch of panels of jack getting pummeled <laughs> so you notice that so Kicker's Inc. just has Darlene and she's always on the sideline when there's conflict after the first issue or two. And uh, DP7 is four men and three women. Uh, and so they're, again, not getting directly involved in the conflict, where it, which was all sort of boy on boy this time. Um, all the testosterone. Yeah. You can imagine a uh, situation where, like, you know, all of the um, characters are being sort of brainwashed or something to fight more amongst themselves. And this one, yeah, so many of them were not, and just sort of they were able to sort of put a cold, cold water onto everything after a while. But um, I don't know the the. Dave Landers versus Jack Magnaconti fight was good, but it's purely Mastodon uh, overpowers uh, Magnaconti pretty, um, pretty. Yeah, pretty uh, handily, right? You know, it's, it's, you, we, I wasn't really sure how that would go because Magnaconti is definitely really strong, right? He's like lifting heavy things, just like David Landers is being able to pick up his truck with no sweat. Uh, but Jack's also like bulletproof, right? And he's so, a professional athlete. I thought yeah. it would help in some ways, so, but not necessarily a professional fighter. But neither of them are. Um, yeah. yeah, but, but Dave definitely, yeah, hasn't been brawling, or, and yeah, yeah. Or I don't but, get the sense that that's his. Yeah. If we're going realis realistic ish, you know, Dave is way bigger. Right. So, I mean, that yeah, could yeah. just be the difference of strength, right? Like you're not super strong unless you're huge. Uh, of course, Stephanie's kind of an exception to that because her powers also, you know, all, she's got healing, but also like power boosting and it makes her strong. Like we've seen her kind of. Yeah, she was picking up strength. a cow last issue. Yeah, even Actually, though she's she small. may be getting closer to Magna Conti level. Maybe, yeah. Strength, yeah. 
It's like, yeah, like Jeff's kind of fast acting, so if like he jumps in real quick and takes out a guy, and you know, Scuzz is itching for a fight maybe, and like you know, more than happy to throw a punch. You know, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, Dave's or how was it? Randy is pretty rational, but uh, his antibody is kind of not so much under his control. So if there's excitement going on, the antibody will pop out and kind of do something. But yeah, even if, if Randy's thinking like, I got to stop this, then that could be code enough for antibody to pop out and say, all right, I'm going to try and stop this. So um, as I said, the um, if you were to have like a crisis on infinite new universes, uh, I'd be happy with Paul Ryan and Mark Gruenwald to be doing it. You can imagine them fitting in several more of their characters into a larger uh, crossover event and sort of juggling them well. But. Yeah, I, actually, I read and uh, I was curious as to see where Paul Ryan went after New Universe. And I guess he's credited as like the number three Fantastic Four artist, like as in has writ has drawn the most issues. Like if Jack Kirby is number one and John Byrne is number two. And then after them, he's the guy who wrote the most or drew the most FF issues in the nineties. Yeah, I remember. But apparently he got was... kicked off when they did Heroes Reborn. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, I remembered him as it being on FF for a while, but like I didn't realize it was that long a uh, yeah. I guess he got the boot from Jim Lee, who took over. Yeah, I remember Jim yeah. Lee wrecks the Marvel Universe part two or part one. I don't know if that was before X Men or not. I did kind of, I mean, um. I haven't gone back and look at them either, but yeah, the Heroes Were Born was at least interesting. And uh, I mean, I hadn't picked up Fantastic Four, even though I liked Ryan's art, I was like, eh, FF. And, um, so yeah, it, oh, he was on Quasar for a while too. He and Grunwald, yeah, he I think Quasar even had some DP7 connections later on, right? Yeah, so. You got a little sort of afterlife there, but um, yeah, it's well, it's a loss to the is uh, that he passed away a few years back. Yeah, both both of them passed away. Yeah, both our creators are no longer with us. Um, of DP Seven, the issue that we're not supposed <laughs> to be talking about today. Uh, um, yeah, the the. I was going to say, the, this was a good one for Darlene, too, because she's really been sidelined a lot, we've been saying. And she's really front and center. She's sort of handling things from a different angle and is really uh, involved in today's story. So that's good, too. She's the brains and the heart. Yeah. And four types of muscle. So I don't know. <laughs> that's kicker's ink for you. Oh, any more thoughts? Um, the only other thing I caught is early on, uh, when Magna Conti is like grabbing, uh, his wife from behind and she's kind of hollering at him. He mentions the Mies report, which I had no clue what it was. M E E S E. Um, what's that? 
Edwin Meese? I that's a good question. All I so I guess that was a 1986 uh, Reagan appointed uh, government report on pornography. Mm. Like 35 chapters apparently, like the evils of uh, presumingly, but interesting i yeah it's kind of an odd one uh again there's so so many words in uh (laughs) trying to find this (laughs) um yeah it's right on the second page actually uh it says boy you'd think the meese commission outlawed husbandly hugs right so i guess that was maybe some of that morality policing kind of stuff but oh okay yeah must have been in the news at the time yeah, that's sort of. Um, I just like to imagine like a whole ton of lawmakers getting together and like studying pornography <laughs> to write this huge report. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do remember Mies as like a Reagan appointee kind of guy. Um, couldn't tell you, maybe attorney general or something at the time. Mm, that might make sense. Yeah, I don't remember this specific thing, but you know, that was the day of. It was like the the PMRC, the um, the record uh, labeling um, things at the time. So some of this sort of stuff was in the in the air. But heavy metal is poisoning your kids' minds. Comic books are bad. <laughs> Everything is bad. Yeah. If um, let's see. Yeah. Overall, do we have a grade? Grade for kickers P7. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. It's it's uh, it was the one I was looking forward to the most uh, for this upcoming week of episode of issues. Uh, it didn't really disappoint. You know, I maybe could have hoped for a little more uh, combat just to show like some classic superhero powers versus well football players i guess um but uh yeah i liked it a lot uh, i would go b plus yeah i'm i will also go b plus I, i'm not sure if i mean it is super solid and you know well crafted um i'm not sure there's anything i can say that really kicks it up a notch into exceptional but um so yeah, I'm very happy with it. Wish we could have gotten those guys to do both titles for longer. I don't know. And I would say that like of the crossovers we've had in the new universe, this is only third. There was two Starbrand and Spitfire yeah. crossovers. Spitfire right. showed up in Starbrand. Starbrand showed up in Spitfire and now this one so far. Yeah. So- I, I'm pretty sure it doesn't happen, though. Total missed opportunity if it didn't. Uh, the uh, if Stephanie had hired uh, Mark Hazard to sort out the clinic, <laughs> that would be pretty great. Like his whole squad uh, uh, up against the uh, you know, taking all down dudes, the clinic, right? Yeah, you know, get past get past their hunters first, and the now I think that'd be good. Exploding things helicopter shows <laughs> or even if like the uh 
I, mean, I guess this is a good transition into Mark Hazard, Mark in a minute, but like if they, if the clinic like had gotten wind of Mark Hazard and all the things he'd been up to and like, he's so good and always gets away unscathed. I wonder if he's a paranormal, let's send our three goons after him kind of thing. And, you know, nice. Maul, the explosive expert up against the guy with the explosive pimples and I mean, this stuff just writes itself, man. Writes itself. <laughs> oh, I like it. Uh, yeah, After give this me a script, and we'll put it into production. Cool. I'll plot it. I don't know if I can script it. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, we'll uh, let you think about that one, uh, listeners, as we take a break. All right. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Uh, now we're ready to talk about Mark Hazard. So we've got Mark Hazard Merc number five. This one's also out at the same time, so looking at December 1986 here. Uh, our cover is pretty excellent. So it's a Gray Morrow cover. He's been doing a lot of the art for the series, though not all of it. A uh, nice shot of Mark Hazard uh, flanked by maul the explosives guy and a new character who we'll get to meet today uh but basically for now what we know on the cover is blonde woman with her chest out and an uzi so all right uh, they're basically all just firing at us i suppose as far as it goes um and i'll do it just for you this time our new universe uh title across the top is in orange so maybe gunfire orange perfect yeah it matches the uh what the heck is is mark using there like a grenade launcher or something yeah that's some kind of funky barrel loaded grenade launcher one of my gi joe characters had one i know oh okay yeah <laughs> that's where most of my knowledge of weaponry comes from that in 80, 80s movies yeah. So perfect for this, I guess. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. All right. So, so the book opens uh, with some kind of man on the street kind of shots, really. Um, New York City, uptown, a city of bright lights and excitement. Downtown, a city of dark, winding streets and ugly, used-up neighborhoods. A city that can hide anyone and anything. So, uh, I guess crappy New York City. This is 1986 New York City, which yeah okay it's kind of more like you know joker that like um every, everything is pretty run down and they haven't rebuilt it and uh spruced it up um the way it's been for the last couple of decades so yeah so we get our title mark hazard merc created by archie goodwin uh this you know, i'm not sure they said created by archie goodwin before hmm. he well he didn't write any of this one where he did write some of his created works uh at least the first issues of such but yeah i don't know yeah that's half maybe two-thirds of the new universe is from the mind of archie goodwin so <laughs> we, we always say jim shooter 
Uh, but but comics, yeah. it's almost more Archie Goodwin. I know I saw like a list someone had like was writing down the notes and they were like AG, like next to the ones that I guess he had created. And yeah, it was, um, let me double check that if I can find it. And uh, yeah, I think he did. I th- I half even, to two thirds, let's call it. Half to two thirds, yeah. yeah, definitely a good chunk. Uh, but this this book is titled "That's What Friends Are For" in sort of big bloody letters with an exclamation point. Uh, just better so, than just friends, which yeah. Well, if, if Mark Hazard is your friend, then uh, you can count on him in a gunfight, I guess. Right. So, uh, but we have a new writer. So uh, Peter David did the first four issues. Uh, we. We'll see him again in the new universe, but not yet. Uh, but now we have Doug Murray as our writer. Um, and at this point, he's just getting started on the NAM, the NAM, I guess the NAM. Um, so, and that's a fairly well acclaimed book about Vietnam actual combat. And here we have a Vietnam veteran. So kind of makes sense as someone to take over the book, I suppose. Yeah, it makes, um, I, al- I almost think, the NAM would have worked as like when in more normal Marvel, you have like the golden age adventures of Captain America. You could have had the NAM adventures of Merc as well. It would have been um, cool if they snuck Mark Hazard into some uh, issues of the NAM. I mean, for all yeah. I know, maybe they did, but I don't <laughs> could have folded it all in. So showed us how he got his scar. That's right. Yeah. So this, uh, you know, as, as we said, this promo had come up a couple of times, so I guess they were working on getting this story or the new writer going for a while. Here. Yeah, and now here it is. <laughs> uh, layouts, Mark Beecham, art by the dreaded Jack Fury. Uh, so the, the editors are new too. I, I don't know. Uh, so Owlsley, aka Christopher Priest, is off. And he's been replaced by Blaustein and Redding. Okay. This could also explain part of the delays and what what we've been going through here. Everything's getting kind of shuffled around. Uh, But yeah, so back to the story. You know, we open with a shot of Mark Hazard's friend, Mal, aka M A L. Uh, He's sort of the explosives guy, bailed him out when uh, terrorists kidnapped all everyone that he knows uh and hijacked a bus uh, also was there in the first issue uh when he was overthrowing a government and uh, failing to rescue the president's daughter and such but we got him out on the street uh, basically walking to the uh, awesome more hilariously titled ninja school martial arts master colon high priestess there's a lot to unpack there <laughs> Yeah, it's the super secret ninja school that's um, very well advertised. Um, it's in Harlem, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if you're a 12 year old and you want to take lame karate or you want to go to the ninja school, I think you want to go to the ninja school. No, it's downtown. It must be Lower East Side then. Okay. And the ninja school is, I don't know, four story brownstone kind of a place. Yeah. And the master high priestess. Yeah, I like that they advertise their 
not teacher, but master, right on the sign there. So, uh, but anyway, so Maul walks into the martial arts dojo or whatever, and Mark Hazard's there uh, smoking, of course, and uh, talking about the fancy cigarettes he got uh, with a woman. Uh, I think he's talking about the shuriken. Oh, is he? This is here there, he, priestess picked him I, in Thailand, try to give it a try. Oh, you're right. Okay. I thought he was talking about Yeah, it looks like he's got yeah, some weird cigarette. Yeah. But, yeah, it's hard to tell from the art, but you're right. He's throwing it at a target. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Thailand throwing stars? Are they known for their throwing stars? <laughs> I should have looked I, that up. <laughs> Who makes the best ninja stars? You think the ninja school lady would know better than Mark Hazard anyway, but <laughs> but anyway, so Maul kind of walks in, but you know he's ignored for the moment as uh, Mark gets confronted by a student. So all of a sudden, just says, Mark, you white pig, you smoke and you stink, and your fat body is desecrating uh, is a desecration in this place. <laughs> okay. Uh, Mark says, priestess, with a question mark, and she says, be my guest, his funeral. <laughs> so he's sort of asking permission to uh, kick his butt, I guess. Jeez. Uh, you sure you want to do this, son? Do not try to scare me, fat man. I don't know why he keeps calling him fat, because Mark Hazard is not even remotely overweight. Not even dad bod. He, he seems like he's just a big, tall, buff dude. Uh, but as the, the kid bows... Mark Hazard drops his cigarette, snuffs, his out, snuffs it out with his foot, and then basically kicks him in the head, like mid-bow, right? So like, ah, they just never learn. So Mark's a no-nonsense guy. He's not going to stand for ceremony. So if you want to fight him and you bow deeply in front of him, he kicks you in the face. That's just how he rolls. Mm. That's good. So then, we can, then he can, he notices Maul there. What are you lurking around in here? Uh, Mark Hazard, you know, talks, sort of introduce, introduces Priestess. I think that's the only name we get for her. Um, and that he likes going there to work out because he can, you know, fight the kids without getting into trouble with police or whatever. And so why are you looking for me? Uh, apparently, uh, Mal has a sister, you yeah. uh, know, so he calls herself Phoenix, sure. So maybe that's just her stage name. Uh, so apparently she's in a rock group and she got a gig playing in the city. And as Mal describes, some random biker guys, you know, took a liking to her, you know, broke in, took out the bodyguards, no problem. Basically just walked up on stage, picked her up and drove her off on their motorcycles. <laughs> Yeah, girls hate to be picked up like that. They don't <laughs> find it romantic at all. Right. Um, yeah, Phoenix. Marlene didn't like it. We we now have two. <laughs> that's we now have two um, female characters introduced in about three pages. Who like one is Phoenix, and she's the sister of Mal, and is a singer, possibly famous in this uh, new world. But anyway. I get the impression it's more like, you know, maybe well-liked local group. Yeah, sort of like, yeah, can fill a bar, maybe a small hall. But, um, and Priestess, who's a, 
old friend of Mark's runs uh, this martial arts thing. Ninja school. Possibly a ninja herself. Interesting. Um, so two new characters really quick. Not a lot of information about them just yet. Maybe we'll learn more. Maybe we won't. I don't know. Um, best I can figure the band name is Phoenix and the Ashes. Yeah, I saw that too. It's in a poster on the background of something. So very subtle. Yeah. So uh, sister has been kidnapped. Miles coming to Mark saying, yeah, hoping you can help. And so we get kind of like a, an artistic window into his mind instead of a thought bubble. And he's kind of flashing back to uh, yeah, presumably Vietnam and uh, Mal is carrying some guy uh, over his shoulders and firing. So assuming that's uh, Mark Hazard, who he's saved, right? He owes him a solid, I guess. Uh, well, the thing with Mark's life is that could just be last week. <laughs> that's true. That's very true. <laughs> Any of his missions. I always want to say that that Mal says, he took her and disappeared. I can't go to the cops. Can't even ransom her. I don't know what to do. You can't go to the cops, Mal? What's... Yeah, that's a little suspicious. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Mark says, well, I do have some ideas, but we'll need some special help. Priestess? <laughs> so not asking if he can beat up one of her students. No, I'm just asking for her assistance. <laughs> uh, so later that night, deep on the east side, right? So we've got kind of like some docks and a bar called The Wheel and some motorcycles out front and we're at nighttime. Uh, scuzzy biker bar basically is what we're looking at yeah i don't know if um you can, you're that close to the the um waterfront in the lower east side i never really checked it out myself so yeah that's a good question i might i've only been to nyc once so i can't i can't fact check that one um yeah, so what we've got here then is looks like the priestess rolling up on a motorcycle, uh, wearing an all leather outfit with super high boots and you know cut way down in the front and hair flowing and those long kind of lady gloves that go up to the bicep kind of thing. So dressed to get attention. Um, and let me just I guess point out that to me this is a barbed wire. The, yeah. <laughs> the Pamela Anderson character you from later. So you, that's from uh, Dark Horse Comics Greatest World a few years right. later. Yeah, because this but, would definitely predate Barbed Wire, right? Yeah, yeah. That's at least 93, 94. Okay. Um, but it's just a like the look of it with her on a motorcycle and the leather outfit and everything. Yeah. Somehow less dumb than Barbed barb Wire, though. <laughs> no offense, Barbed Wire. I can't, I can't, I gotta admit, I, I, if I read an issue or two and it's so long ago, I can't remember what, what I thought of it. It had a nice Adam Warren cover. That's all I can really tell you about Barbed yeah. Wire. That may be the high point of it. As a guess, I shouldn't judge either. I, I haven't read it. I do remember the bad movie though. <laughs> so she walks up kind of, I hear a girl can have some fun here. No answer. What's wrong, boys? Cat, cut your tongue. So she's kind of like, they're all ogling her, and she just kind of brushes by them into the bar. Uh, then we get a, a shot of Mal, who was apparently hiding under the docks, uh, which I don't think he really needed to be, honestly. You know, he, he would fit right in. 
could have been anywhere. Yeah. Could have just been around the corner or something. So he kind of pops up and Merc's running. They kind of looks like they're going around back with a toolbox and some rope. Um, you know, he says, just a minute. He's running with his box. That's not clear what he's doing there. And I says, right, that should give him a surprise. And then they throw a... Uh, Mark kind of boosts Mal up to the window, and then he tosses a rope down. You know, so they have climbed up onto the second floor. Um, and then we get an ad for the Nam. The Nam. <laughs> so written by Doug Murray. So Murray, I, I gotta like say that the ads really seemed on point with this issue. So we may call them out as we go along. It's like yeah, it seemed like it was never, worth mentioning since it was the same writer. Yeah, a couple pages earlier we had one of uh, Storm. Uh, in an ad for the sort of local comics uh, stores available at the time. And yeah. she's in that sort of leather outfit she was in at the time, which is exactly like what Priestess and to a lesser extent, Phoenix. Yeah, totally. Right. Yeah, good catch on that. Uh, I yeah, always want to wonder if like any of those places in the comic ads are still running, you know, like you see mile high comics and they they still exist, but some of the other, uh, mail order comic places would be curious to know but anyway so priestess is in distraction mode uh kind of getting the attention of all the goons in the bar uh basically jumps up on the bar uh i mean this predates the ter other terrible movie coyote ugly but it feels like a familiar scene of you know a girl up on bar <laughs> Yeah, that's a good good call for it. I, I can't think of a like an 80s movie that had this sort of thing in it, but maybe flash dance, but that was more like a club. Yeah. I don't know. I was trying I to figure it out. It, it seems familiar, but I, I don't know what from. Yeah. I don't think not cocktail, because that would have been Tom Cruise dancing on the bar, right? Right. <laughs> Nobody wants that. So uh the boys are sneaking up. Uh you know, the goons are well distracted. And so this is where it starts to get interesting. So uh, checking all the doors, you know, Mark Hazard uh, basically pops in on what looks like uh, Phoenix resting or sleeping in the arms of, you know, the guy who kidnapped her. Uh, Mal busts in super quick. Um, oh, geez, you know the name of that, like, cudgel thing? But... I call it a blackjack. Yeah. He's, he's kind of got that classic. Cudgel's good too. A knock sap? you on the head to knock you out in the movies thing. <laughs> yeah, it's like a sock loaded with a lead shot or something. Yeah. So, but in pop culture, one hit to the head, you're unconscious with that guy. Uh, so he you definitely the... haven't fractured everyone's skull. Yeah, some broken orbital bones or something. So he, he nails the biker, knocks him out. The girl kind of startles awake. Mel nails her in the head and knocks her out too. So knocks his own sister unconscious. Uh, what? What? <laughs> what the is in fact Mark's exact reaction is that she's a bloody screamer. I can't take the chance she'd start a row. He's like, uh, all right, but keep it quiet now. So suspicious act number two. Right? Can't call the cops. Uh, this is like the exact kind of thing you would call the cops for. <laughs> knocks out. What do we have a cops for if not? <laughs> Boy. but anyway so you know cut back to the bar where priestess is i guess just dancing i mean maybe, maybe hopefully there's music otherwise it'd look a little awkward <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. Um... <laughs> uh, the first dog, as pre predictably, starts to get handsy. Uh, and she's like, naughty, naughty big man. But she notices the, the guys upstairs looking like mission accomplished. So now for act two. So she kind of like lets him grab her, gives him a really hard knee to the crotch. <laughs> and then basically some more guys start coming after her. You don't leave that easy, girly. Who's going to stop me? So shows off a little more of her uh, ninja martial arts ability than a, a knee to the crotch by you know, kicking some goons in the head and you know giving him the, the hand wave like, come on, tough guys. Anybody who's next? Anyone else? <laughs> I, I like this next scene because the guy who she need uh, in the groin is still kind of down on his knees. Is like, don't need anybody else, girl. As soon as I get up, I'll. I imagine him kind of feebly, like, oh, just as soon as I recover in 45 minutes and get up here, then you're in trouble. But he probably secretly doesn't want to get up. <laughs> uh, don't make me get up there and. Uh, yeah. So. I really don't think so. So she throws one of the throwing stars that we saw earlier, but it just kind of hits the bar in between a guy's fingers. So she's not out for blood here. Um, so we'll call back to the beginning, though honestly, it's a little bit pointless. Um, and our biker who was with Phoenix is up on the balcony. So he didn't get knocked out, apparently, or he recovered. He yells, Phoenix is gone. Don't just stand here. There, they took her. Right, so uh, the the goons look to grab Priestess, but she's already on her motorcycle, and then all of their bikes explode, uh, which it took until reading three for me to connect the dots between that little panel of Mal with the toolbox. So he must have been setting the bomb to blow up their bikes so they couldn't follow. Uh, I think every time Mal isn't, you can't tell what Mal is doing. He's setting explosives somewhere. That's yeah. his thing. That's, that's, that's fair. <laughs> that, that seems about right. Uh, so then the, you know, the, the thug that was with Phoenix, uh, which we don't have his name yet, says, it's not that easy. Not that easy at all. So I honestly don't really know what he's talking about there. And then a weird time cut here. So we jump to the next night and there's a poster for Phoenix and the ashes where we got the name from as if like she's playing a show. Um, I can't. Yeah, wasn't quite sure if it's that she's supposed to be home or like in where she lived before yeah, or still her brother's place. Park, but like given what happens in the story later, like it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense that she's playing her show the next night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we'll get to that. So uh, someone on a motorcycle kind of zooms up, uh, but then we find that, you know, again, it, it's taken me to, to this third reading to make sense out of this. There's, there's it's, it's not the clearest book artistically and uh, to follow, but, um, Bikers are starting to show up to the, apparently the concert. And then we see Mark Hazard with one gun in each hand is kind of staking out the roof. Uh, Maul on the other side of the street doing the same thing. So they stop the guy, the biker goons before they can go back to the concert and presumably re-kidnap Phoenix. 
any further in your roo food to remind us all that Mal is from New Zealand, I guess. You know, I, I his dialogue here seems a little more like they got mixed up with Australians and New Zealanders. Yeah. Fair dinkums and uh, roo food. Kangaroo. Same thing, but one of them they filled Lord of the Rings at, right? Yeah. <laughs> Same country. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we are Americans. We don't know anything about other countries. It's part of our shtick. <laughs> <laughs> and all of, all of us, let me just put on my spurs and my cowboy hat and walk off. Well, to be uh, to be fair, you know, Australia was cool for like five minutes. I guess that was in the eighties. Crocodile Dundee, man. There you go. So maybe they're like, why why say he's from a country that no one cares about when you can have him from a country that is sort of cool? I want you to ret you know retro that uh, point of origin. There's that one Simpsons episode, and the idea that their toilets uh, flush. <laughs> and this world goes in the other direction or something which i think is a myth but anyway back to the biker goons right so uh the, the leader you know the one who uh, wants to get phoenix back says this won't stop us man you've got my woman you can't watch forever one day we'll get through we'll get you and her hazard replies you maybe or maybe we'll just kill you and be done with it it's like but I'll give you a chance. So he kind of holds off uh, Maul from opening fire, uh, and challenges point, him to like a one-on-one -on -one fight. Yeah, let's point out that the the biker leader, gang leader, is like a young beefcake kind of guy, not like the humongous in Mad Max. So it's mm. not like he's a monster. He's kind of. Um, probably uh, a normal looking dude yeah and visually he's got like a little bit darker skin i think we find out he's latino maybe um but he's got like that, red that leather outfit uh leather jacket like the classic leather jacket but with the sleeves ripped off which maybe a role for the rock nowadays he's, yeah he's definitely missing the fingerless gloves but he's got some wristbands and he's got like a sharp flat top kind of haircut like almost like uh justice but without the mullet earrings and like the like the baseball player uh, black lines under the eyes kind of thing so it's definitely got a, a uh, thing going on less like a scruffy biker than the rest of the dudes yeah uh, he's uh, i mean mal's description is that this this horrible monster who's taken uh his sister and you know has to be destroyed somehow so we're, we're the visuals aren't quite matching up with that either yeah it's not quite adding up so you know and poor mal's dialogue fair dinkum mate <laughs> i'll just take a little trip to the cloisters and get things ready meet you there at dawn i almost i feel like i need google translate for that <laughs> bad australian okay you do know the cloisters Nope. Cloisters are an actual like monastery-ish, like a medieval castle-looking place that's on. It's in north, like the most northern part of Manhattan Island. Uh, I did okay. sort of double check this because I didn't. There's like an art museum there now, and so I remember people going there for for to look at it. But uh, I've never been myself, so. Okay. 
that feels like I don't know, it's giving me a memory of like the second Batman movie where like the penguin has a hideout in New York City or something. I don't know. Totally stab in the dark. Uh, so apparently it's a place to meet and fight. Yeah, it's like there's a little Despite park all of around cool it. History. Yeah, so <laughs> it's um, okay. Let's do that. <laughs> so at dawn, again, no sign of Phoenix here. So we haven't heard from her as to, you know, what she's up to since she's been rescued in hand quotes there. Um, some more bad dialogue from Maul. Um, and then Mark has her just <laughs> sucker punches. <Old> Matilda. <laughs> I wasn't going to dignify it by reading it. Oh, my God. Okay. Take this part out. Yeah, so Hazard just kind of walks up and sucker punches him, hits him in the gut. I talked to the stagehands. Your sister wasn't kidnapped. She loves the guy. Loves him. A biker. She loves a scuzzy, a scuzzy biker. You want me to let my sister stay with that? So they're they're fighting it out. Um, you know, so yeah, basically he just didn't like her boyfriend. <laughs> um, Look, Mark, it's not because he's Latino, Latinx. Uh, I, I have nothing, no problem with the Latino community. So don't let make it the racial issue. It's just that he's a scuzzy biker. Right. I don't know. <laughs> Next issue, he's riding a bicycle, a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like no mention of like, well, maybe Phoenix would have come to and explained this to Mark Hazard if she had time to set up for her next gig already. So it falls apart a little there. Um, besides just his motivation being kind of weak, to be perfectly honest. Um, but no time to think about that as the bike gang rolls up. They're here. And uh, basically, Ma looks like he's ready to kill them all. Um, so he's reaching for his gun. Hazard steps on it. He's like, no. He's reaching for his detonation box. And Hazard <laughs> grabs him, tackles him, and holds him back. The, uh, the biker boyfriend has no clue what's going on. So he's ready for his fight to settle this. You know, he grabs Mark Hazard, who doesn't realize is trying to save his life. Um, and Hazard's having none of it. So, you know, he just immediately turns the tables. Hazard sticks his gun in his face. And, I'm trying to save your life, moron. Stay out of my <laughs> way or I'll kill you myself. Uh, so, but that, that leaves the opening for Mal to grab his gun. Bloody fool, bloody biker trash. Uh, so he pulls the gun. Hazard kind of steps in front of him. So he's trying to play peacemaker here. You know, think about it. Think about what it's like always doing what other people tell you to, which gives a hilarious flashback to his dad. <laughs> Just kind of like a this. ghostly image of like his scowling father who was trying to control his life. <laughs> and the bitter young Mark Hazard, like, I'm not listening to this anymore. So a little more like petulant Wayne kind of kid stuff than like full grown, like a smart, uh, accomplished, tough guy, Mark Hazard, honestly. But it's kind of hilarious, honestly. So. So is this is this what you want for the sister you love? You know, like, I don't think she'll forgive him if he murders her boyfriend anyway. So, uh, and yet, this is an action comic. So the, the, the biker goons open fire. Uh, so they've all got guns, uh, and then honestly, I have no clue what's going on in the next panel because everything looks like it's on fire. 
looking out. Yeah, that's going. before Mal is is gotten to his demolition box. But it, yeah, it looks like there's been an explosion, but the timing is wrong versus the other panels. The gas tank. Uh, I don't know. But yeah, and it's hard to tell who's caught in the explosion. Honestly, I'm gonna say the bikers that we saw at the end of the the, the pre previous page. Yeah, like so, they're shooting, and then they get. Yeah, so I guess that would make the most sense. We've got three panels of Mal pressing buttons and blowing up bikers. So it's really basically straight up murdering a bunch of guys. I can't tell if those are two, two or three separate groups of bikers. And so yeah. he's killed uh, like eight people or maybe the first two then add up to the third one. Yeah, it's been a while, but I, I guess we should. I mean, it's not Mark Hazard, but. You know, the kill count is getting up there, and Mark Hazard is not killing people. He's trying to stop. Uh, so, yeah. eight bikers. Now, to be fair, Mal had probably killed the most in the first issue, too. This is true. He did. Uh, these guys really didn't have it coming, though. All they were doing is trying to protect the guy's girlfriend and, uh, and such. But so, I think. All the oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say opening fire, like with supposedly guns. At the previous page maybe was the rationale for that yeah but yeah i guess so they could have just stand, stood back and let it uh play itself out and so they were trying to save somebody in their heads really right uh, but again it kind of falls apart too like if she's just out and about and like playing her concert then couldn't she just drive back over there or were they holding her and making making sure and like making sure she didn't go back to them too but then they could have talked it over it falls apart a little but explosions right only a little <laughs> uh so mal pulls his gun on the boyfriend uh mark hazard jumps in front again uh but then phoenix pulls up right so while they were fighting for her life and honor and ability to date, uh, one of the other biker dudes pulls up with her on the back. She's like, Mal, please, I love him, Mal. I love Ramon, please, please. And so she hugs him and it's like, she couldn't have said that earlier. Um, uh, so Ramon, yeah, that's why I will also concur with the Latino. Yeah, so Ramon, is, life is spared mostly due to Mark Hazard with an assist from Phoenix. Uh, Hazard points his gun, uh, you know, get out of here, you two, get out now. So he sends Phoenix and Ramon away. Maul pulls his M16 on Mark for like the 45th time this issue, uh, but he just ignores him and walks away. Uh, gets on the bike with Priestess, who's apparently been there the whole time. As far yeah, as we haven't seen her. <laughs> we haven't seen her. He's like, sure, now the cops come. So the police are coming and we just, everybody yeah. ditches. This is an entire war going on in a park in New York City. So anyway. yeah, the police would probably come. <laughs> and I, this is another case where the ad works well too. It's an ad for fallen angels, and you have uh, friends fighting. <laughs> yeah, Sunspot just and Cannonball, and like, oh, how will these friends go now that they've one moment of anger and their lives are changed forever? Yeah, I'm trying to remember if in New Mutants did Sunspot go away for a couple issues and they like gave him time to run the miniseries kind of thing, or was it like next issue they were friends again? And 
the miniseries meant nothing. I can't remember how long. Yeah, I've read them both, but it was too long ago. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, um, so later, presumably later, uh, Mark gets out of a cab and runs into Priestess, and she says, "Thanks for the invite." And he's like, "Well, thanks. You invited me." Yeah. So they are going to um, like a ticket counter, basically. Uh, they walk into a big fancy theater and Maul is there sitting and so he apparently invited them both uh, unbeknownst to them and uh, everything's good again, right? This is, I'm afraid the invitation was for me. Call it an apology. Never apologize. It's a sign of weakness. <laughs> okay. Uh, now that you've made up can we enjoy the show? Is this one of your sister's concerts? My sister, no, this is real music, a Beethoven piano concerto. Ooh, real music. <laughs> so apparently all that murdering and gun pulling is all forgiven. Yeah. So very cartoon style. By the end of the episode, uh, everybody's back to where they started in the first place. Except I guess now we have a new friend in priestess <laughs> so yeah and again there's an ad across the page the insanity must be stopped dead that kind of works I don't know. yeah that's for alien legion graphic novel yeah. Okay. so yeah the um yeah i, I don't the think they were page, no right. hints to the next issue we have no nothing for the future which is kind of annoying for two two issues in a row here. Yeah, uh, but if they've just switched and they've been struggling to yeah struggling to get the issues out and the correct solicitations and stuff, and probably did not know yet what the next issue was going to be. So one more issue of Mark Hazard Merck on the books there. Um, if your voice hasn't died from covering that extensive issue of kickers inc uh what do you have any thoughts on uh, this particular issue we got a new team and yeah maybe... i i thought the like old friend was i was hoping for more with claire burnett you know they were sort of you know there's a cop and maybe her what her husband got killed in the last issue um yeah the, the lack of follow-up from the last issue is a little unhappy there um Mark's legal problems and being trying to be recruited by the CIA, whatever. Um, yeah, because he left that one talking to his son, basically saying like he he made the right choice for himself, right? Like I'm not going to compromise my morals, and that might end me in jail and never get to see my family again. And he walks away, and then hey, something else. Hey. <laughs> Let's meet so, the priestess in a dojo and go on a wacky adventure with my buddy who likes to blow everything up. So let me lie. just say that like, I do like um, the effort of putting in new female characters. So Priestess, you know, I don't think she quite lives up to that cover, but no. Promising, I guess. I mean, seems like we could, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing more of her as part of the supporting cast. Um, as little as we see of it so yeah the whole setup for the thing seems a little more wild west than like what you could do in new york city even in 1986 i think that's the biggest sort of 
bridge to cross conceptually when I'm reading it is like yeah it's more like one of these um, movies where like that's post-apocalyptic and there's nothing but gangs in the cities yeah nobody's batting an eye when the explosions are going off and everybody's got m16s carrying around and yeah so if anyone has read uh or has watched uh 1990 the bronx warriors um it's like a, a similar sort of a story where like the gang leader is the hero his name's trash he kind of reminds me of ramon in some ways although he's a little scuzzier but that's like a cheap italian movie from the early 80s uh, um I don't know that the, Remember, we're not doing your Italian movie podcast yet, right? Not yet, <laughs> yet. But <laughs> it's a, so it's like a level slightly below like the Canon Golan Globus films. You very um, anyway. They just assume all of us Americans are either doing that all the time, or we're going to have a, a World War Three, and then we'll all be doing it. So. One way or another, we'll get to it. So yeah, the the story, um, very West Side story, Romeo and Juliet. Um, yeah, kind of background. In a really um, surface level kind of way, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I think there was a there was a movie that came out in the eighties. I looked it up, and it wasn't out till nineteen eighty seven. That was a, um, it was called China Girl, and it was like an Italian, like Little Italy, Italian boy, and a Chinatown. Chinese girl and their brothers are both like gang leaders or something. Okay. I was kind of hoping it was something like that because I remembered the trailer for that was that scene where Phoenix comes up, but I love him, you know. It's, uh, okay. nice. yeah, um, yeah, it definitely has a lot of hints of sort of 80s action movie-ish, almost action B-movie-ish kind of stuff, but, but that's, that's almost really all we get is action. Yeah, sort of, I, I mean, I could, I, I kind of get it. I mean, I assume this was kind of done on a deadline and kind of had to throw something together pretty quick. Um, you know, but, but, yeah, it's really stripped down from what we've been getting from Peter David, which was a very much more cohesive story that was a little more real world. Um, and I don't know if that's, yeah, just the new writer or like an editorial director direction like we need more action in this you know yeah fill the seats more booms um let's see i was gonna say ramon's skin color like you said um that's what i think suicide smythe was in the beginning yeah and that's why i think that's a latino color to the colorists of 1990s yeah i mean it's, it's really just a guess at this point it's this weird like gray i mean you only had like two or three sort of uh, potential colors. And I've seen that used in like South Asians and Middle Eastern. And so, yeah, I don't know. They didn't have like one that was like olive tone uh, skin, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, even today though, with like the modern super spectrum, whatever, print whatever you want, like skin tone still gets screwed up all the time, so. Yeah. Coloring was quite a process back then, from what I've seen. And you, you, you know, goes through like these coloring guides, and then still like goes into like a 
production is just like these craftsmen working at the print shop, uh, making the coloring guides. Um, I don't know. It's it's all quite like a lot of steps you can screw up. So yeah. <sighs> anyway, um, so I did look up Mark Beecham. Um, he had was actually more uh, known for he went into more erotic art afterwards. Oh, okay. And you sort of look around online, everyone's like, he really loves women and women's butts. <laughs> <laughs> like the Ed Bennis of his day or something. Yeah. You get a bit of that in, in the story of like priestess showing off in front of the biker bar. Oh, okay. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think now, I, I, now I'm thanks not to you. Now I'm looking through this comic, looking for butts. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I we went from obscure Italian cinema to butt shots. I, 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 from A to Z, I call it, I cover it all. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I, I may have like seen the guy in uh, at a convention around like 2000, where um, because I remember some collaborator of his and you know some like, erotic art uh, table and like there was always some like people who came to those uh, in sort of fetish gear with like the leather everywhere and stuff. All right. Um, which maybe like, so he would, would have been into that at the time. I don't know. It's a, it's just funny to think back that he was uh, can sort of went in a different direction. He didn't have a lot of like Marvel DC work. Okay. After, yeah. Not long after that, but it wasn't cause he was like given up. He had just, Gone in a different direction. Shooter so, didn't canon because all he wanted to draw was derrieres. <laughs> um, perhaps the the new editor was looking for something different. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. We'll um, we'll find out as we read more issues, I guess, to see like, do we have a direction change, or you know, do we forget those? Do we forget to follow up on some of the things we liked about the previous work? Uh, but yeah, it's always it's really, it really feels sparse, right? Like new character, but no dialogue or information given about them whatsoever, really. So we don't really know anything about Phoenix. We don't really know anything about the priestess, who I th feel like it should have been her issue, really. Um, and really, we don't yeah. even we don't even get much hazard. Um, not many Mark hazardisms. Yeah, it's more Mal's story, I guess. Um... And yet we, I don't know, don't get too much from that. Yeah, it's the exact opposite of the uh, kickers issue where there's only like five characters named in this whole issue. So yeah. they don't talk a lot. And so it feels very wide open by comparison. But um, so maybe it's a kind of a fun counterpoint this week, I guess. Um, yeah, it's but, definitely different to read through. It's fast and it goes quick. And just all action as far as things go. Yeah, very fast and action oriented. So, uh, not I was very also well... think... Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I was also thinking the well, the um, the original promo had it as a friend's daughter, and I don't know if you know changing it to his sister kind of undercuts some of the drama because if mal is mark's age mark is 42 
you know, it'd be easy to, for him to have like a 20 year old daughter. Yeah. Like the wife's not in the picture. And, and then you like a little more connection. Like I am responsible for my daughter, my sister, you know, whatever. She's got a boyfriend who cares. <laughs> but um, so I don't know, maybe they change that on purpose or maybe not. I don't, yeah. don't really know. Yeah, yeah. I think I have the benefit of reading it three times, right? <laughs> so, I mean, usually I read three times and then review them. Like I'll read it, I'll read it and write notes, and then I'll read it one more time to stay fresh. Uh, you don't really need to do that for this issue, but uh, yeah, it's not a lot of dialogue. The art is Jack Fury. I don't want to be too negative about it, but there's not much going on there, and it's, it's a little hard to follow at times um as far as where things went though honestly i'd say reading through it this last time and kind of explaining what's going on it, it probably sounds way more fun than it was to read i guess yeah to be honest it was i mean i will give it i don't know c c plus i feel like we're it's sort of crossing the bar of like the minimum professional requirements, but it's not really giving us a lot more. Uh, we got a couple of potential positive developments, but we've also lost a couple of things that uh, we're not sure are coming back, so. Yeah, yeah, really, I, I really like the humor in the previous issues, which we didn't really have. Um, and you know, there's no like Mark Hazardisms, you know, like like where he's just kind of uses his tough guy shtick or, you know, him interacting with the normal world is kind of fun, right? Rather right, than right. him fighting off goons is a little, it's not as fun as far as things go. But um, yeah, I was ready to give it a D. Uh, I'll maybe give it a C minus. I, I squeezed some fun out of the read. Um, there's not a lot of, you know, it's, it's like a poorly translated cheesy action movie. <laughs> so, I, okay. so if we get more of you know, these characters, you know, if, if we learn more about Priestess later, and if we if we get that story of the, you know, his ex-wife's new husband kind of stuff, I'll be happy. Uh, if we don't get that, I'll be pretty disappointed. But hopefully, yeah, it's a. Uh... Yeah. Sometimes like the new universe books, it's not so much you're wondering what's going to happen next as the sort of meta story of who's going to be doing the book and like what larger directions are they going to be taking? Yeah, I will say for sure. I mean, like one of the biggest knocks on new universe was, yeah, like the, the creators would kind of fall on and off. Like, so, you know, you would lose the creative teams and you know new people would be coming on and you know all these sort of problems as a result of that uh, though i'll say on the whole what we've read so far you know that hasn't been a huge problem yet and then looking forward you know doug murray writes the whole rest of merc right so it's not like there's going to be new guy after new guy week after week you know so we'll, we'll see what he wants to do with mark hazard um for the whole rest of us getting Mark Hazard. So, but that could be good. I don't know. 
Uh, yeah, we'll see. So let's hope. Uh, I mean, we also approach it with an optimistic attitude. So I think that's uh, helpful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, still definitely has my favorite issue so far of the new EU as you know, Mark Hazard number two, the baseball game. So yeah, that's that's my number one at this point. Yeah, I think that, like you could, it's fair to have like you know here's your favorite series, but then it's your favorite single issue, and and that was a pretty good one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you haven't read anything like that anywhere else. No. <laughs> Yeah, closest competition would probably be like, you know, some of the issues of Starbrand have been really good. Okay. Um, let's see. We're here. I did check my sources and it does have um Merc as a Archie Goodwin. Yeah. So interesting. Um we are basically translating a window into his ideas <laughs> <laughs> the archie goodwin verse was called uh, that's what i had heard too like he had a whole bunch of ideas for comics that were kind of in his head for a long long time and then this was a, this was his moment then was, hey let's start a new universe and so a lot of those ideas were able to come out and presumably change a little bit uh but yeah so that's that's what we're getting Cool. Well, that is it for this week's episode. Next time we'll be covering um, Justice number five. Justice must make the most gut-wrenching of decisions when he faces the villainy of his own father. What? <laughs> That's not his father. <sighs> Someone's father? <laughs> oh, yes. And uh, so DP75... Uh, we'll face many, many words. <laughs> no, sorry. Uh, can these seven displaced paranormals ever return to the normality of a mundane existence they so desperately desire? An exorcist believes they can, but are DP7 willing to pay the price in the exorcism? Do not know how much an exorcism costs you nowadays. It sounds expensive. I mean, they're broke, but... <laughs> so, I'm Till next time, don't forget you can find us at uh, kickersinc.com and you can find the Super Sleuth Summer Sweepstakes. Uh, enter the contest of um, New Universe Trivia. Odds of winning way better than the lottery. Fantastic. And until next time, we'll see you back at the spinner rack. Goodbye. <laughs>